And welcome to 2020, a new year, a new decade, a new lookout outlook on life. Yes, oh, but it's the Stick to Hockey podcast, and we've got some interesting topics to discuss today. Russ Cohen joins us at Sportsology on Twitter, sportsology.com. What's going on, Russ? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, what's really changed? It's really just been like a week. Like, everybody always acts like, oh, New Year, everything's different. Like, what's really changed? It's just been a week, man. I, I saw something on the Internet, and because of got it through. But there is something that's changed. You can't sign your checks. Like, if you sign a check to me right, for $1 million, you can't sign it one three twenty, like you did one three nineteen or one three seventeen in 2017, because I could just change that 20 to 2019 or oh. 2012. You know what I mean? So I have to put 2020. This is assuming I'm archaic and still use checks, but I get it. Okay. Yeah. It's just a little note for the people, something that I came across that I figured we'd start this episode with because it's important. All right. Here's a quick rant, though. If you're one of those people that rip out your checkbook in the supermarket, I hate you. Yeah. No, you deserve to be uh, flogged. Okay. That's it. Totally agree with you. And if you're one of those people that searches through their purse for, like, two more cents. Oh, and you're like digging through this bottomless pit of a purse. Uh, and you're in the fast line. Get out. But anyway, um, lots to get into, Russ. Um, we're going to talk about the Winter Classic because you were there. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about the World Juniors because USA is out, and I'm not happy about it. Uh, we're going to talk about the struggles of the Flyers and what's to come in 2020. And I want to go through uh, ESPN's uh, uh, rankings as well for not rankings, but predictions here at the basically the midway mark for the trophies the end-of-season awards, and see if you agree with them. But let's start with the Winter Classic, because you are fresh back from Dallas, Texas. Yes. Um, and you got to see Dallas with a four, un- four unanswered goals and come back against Nashville and get the win. How was how was the atmosphere, first of all? The atmosphere was great. Like, it, 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 the Cotton Bowl, it's an older place. And I got the impression when I got there, because I always get there, you know, a couple days before when stuff just starts happening, that they literally just opened this place back up and it's true. They did. They only really use it now for the state fair and maybe one or two other things. It seems like Jerryland has sucked up all the available bowl games and everything else. So it was a nice piece of history. The history for me was I went to University of Houston when Doug Flutie, Flutie beat him in the Cotton Bowl with like a last second play with BC. And so when I was in there, I actually did get to take a picture of the flag of Doug Flutie and put Boo on Instagram. And that's why I put Boo because I was rooting for the University of Houston Cougars. But the game was great. It was pretty unprecedented that you get a team that comes back like that. But there is some Texas culture that I don't like. And so they had some of that at the game, too. But as far as the actual game, it was cool. I enjoyed it. I thought the fans were great. I think it's amazing that over 20,000 Preds fans made it there. It just shows that that fan base has really grown. And so it was a very big success. And for all the haters, again, they sold over 85,000 seats. So if you didn't enjoy it at home, it's not for you. But I will say this. Some criticism of NBC, which I think is real, some friends were telling me they were asking me how the game was atmosphere-wise because they absolutely couldn't tell at home. And I got to tell you, this crowd was very reactive. Like when there was, you know, when Corey Perry got kicked out of the game, that was unprecedented for a Winter Classic game. And – they didn't really hear a fan reaction at home. Yeah. Even when the two Preds goals happened, it was a massive reaction of all the road Preds fans. When 
Tyler Seguin got dumped in the game and should have gotten a penalty called against Nashville. There was a lot of boos that rained out. But apparently, you know, Doc Emmerich was, was speaking over that. So there may have been something going on with the mics because even people who were sitting kind of low at the game were not hearing the puck or the sticks until like midway in the first period. So I kind of think there was some sort of sound glitch that happened. But otherwise, I think it was a good event. And the ice was fine. Temperatures were oh, in the, the 40s. Ice was and... Excellent. Yeah. The, 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 the best, biggest misnomer, I think, about the ice is this. People think, well, it's going to be warm, too warm. It's not going to be good. Even if it gets to middle 50s, it's not too warm. In the 70s, then you're pushing it. But with the technology today, it's not. The worst things are rain, which was happening a couple of days before. So they were worried about the ice at that point. And, and sun glare. When sun glare hits the ice, then it can actually melt the ice. But the other weird thing is, is still to this day, how I have to sort of educate some of the players on wearing eye black. It just makes me giggle. They, hockey players are such creatures of habit that they really don't want to use it unless they have to, and they really don't understand what it does. So I always have conversations with players. This year was Craig Smith that sort of like seemed to take my advice on it. It's usually, you would think it would be the Euros that wouldn't know, but no, now it's, you know, it's anybody. Yeah, and, and and Dave Craig's done just a phenomenal job at perfecting that ice outdoors, oh, yeah. uh, despite whether it be rain or whatever it is. And we know with the stadium series last year, uh, when the Flyers played the Penguins, they had to deal with that rain and drizzle, and that yes. made the ice really sloppy for the second period, although it did clear up in the third when the Flyers came back and got the win. Well, next year it'll be in Minnesota. Uh, we don't have an opponent yet for the Wild, but Minnesota will get the Winter Classic next year. So what's I believe in, that'll be outdoors. What stadium is yes, that? You know? Target Field. Target is where field. they play baseball. Uh, so a couple of things. It was interesting. I was asked on, on Sirius a couple, about four or five days ago, what my matchup would be. I had just been asked that on Facebook, so I put it up on Facebook. But then the day that I was interviewed, I couldn't remember the name of the stadium where University of Wisconsin plays. It's like a weird name. It's like Camp Randall Stadium, whatever. Yeah. Okay. But that would have, that was my choice. And clearly, if I was choosing that, the Wild were going to be one of the teams. And then I picked, like, either Nashville or or somebody else from that division that I thought would be a good divisional game there. Because in that market, they get Minnesota games. Well, lo and behold, they did pick Minnesota, so I at least was thinking the right way team-wise. Uh, it's probably going to be Winnipeg. Probably. Hmm, interesting. And because so, this so way they get Canadian the Canadians. Yeah. 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 This way they get the Canadians coming over. But – I'll tell you, the interesting thing is, and this is where when you're reporting at a game, I hope people understand that we can only report what we know. So before we got the interview with Gary Bettman, he went on NBC and he's talking to Mike Tirico, who clearly knows nothing about hockey, but he's a nice guy. And he calls an OK game, but he doesn't know hockey. And and so when Mike Tirico is talking to Bettman and he says, OK, you know, the Winter Classic set up for Target Field teams to be announced. You know, I can't just go ahead and put, hey, it's going to be the Wild when the Wild haven't tweeted about it, when nobody has tweeted about it. And he just said it on national TV. So I just I put teams to be announced. So of course, then, you know, some of my writer friends have fun and say, well, I think it's going to be the Wild. And it's like, yeah, OK, I, I think so, too. But it but assume nothing. <laughs> but it wasn't announced. Yeah. <laughs> and so in this world of everybody wanting to jump on things, I would hope they at least still appreciate that I wait until it's actually legit so it was funny how and then 10 minutes later then they made sure to say 
the Wild had tweeted at that point, and they were like, yes, it is the Minnesota Wild against, and we don't know who. But I think I think Winnipeg makes sense. I do. Yeah, and, but the, the fact of the matter is that the Winter Classic has not run its course. Maybe some of the other outdoor games, whether it's the Heritage Classics or the Stadium Series, maybe bastardize the Winter Classic a bit. But still, yeah. you know, NBC it's, and the NHL own New Year's Day they do. Uh, out of the four majors. It's still alive and well. I do still think um, the NHL should take back part of Christmas Day. I think they handed that to the NBA. I think it's a mistake. I think if you had a couple of games on, just like two games, and you had them on the West Coast, and there would be later starts, I think you would have a fair amount of people watching, or have one East, one West. I think you would have a fair amount of people watching. Not every team would be playing, so the players can't bitch about it, and it would rotate. But I do think they handed that to the NBA, and honestly, there's not a ton of crossover fans between the NBA and the NHL. There is some, but it's not as high as you think. Yeah, I'm actually okay with them not having going dark for a couple of days, the day before, day of, and day after. I don't like asking people whether it's in any city to have to work on that day. No, I get it, and that's why it would rotate, but they're still working for NBA games, so obviously you don't care if they work in the NBA. No, I think the NBA <laughs> should not should not play them on that day either. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't like the fact that they ask people to do that, but it is what it is, and I know that they get paid time and a half. Or it's the 21st money. century. And it's yeah. like people are going to work all the time now. There's almost no way around it. Yep, absolutely. Um, Russ, the Flyers right now, and let's get into this. Um, okay. And I have Twitter questions that I want to address with this as well. They go down last night again to Vegas, and the hashtag is Growing Legs Road Flyers that you created. Yeah. Uh, once again, they get on this road trip. They lose to San Jose in the first game of the trip, 6-1. to one. They come back, and they get a, a miraculous 2-1 overtime win over Anaheim, but they struggle against Anaheim. Mind you, none of those teams are good. They get belted nope. in the first period. Four first period goals from the Kings. They end up losing five to three. They give up four last night in the first period, and they end up uh, uh, losing to Vegas five to four. What is going on with this team on the road? Why is it such a problem? It's again, I, I, I blame the veterans. I really do. They set the tone, and if they don't come out of those games, starting those games with their hair on fire then it seems like the rest of the team doesn't either. Now, they did go up in this game one nothing, and then something happened, and it snowballed, and they gave up another four spot in the first period. Like, good teams don't give up four goals in on the same road trip in the first period. So clearly, yeah, yes. Three minutes last night, too. Yeah, yeah. So clearly something's wrong. Um, you know, we could start with Carter Hart and just, you know, acknowledge for as long as the Flyers are bad on the road, He's not going to be great on the road either. No. He's not making the difference. And I, you know, I, me personally, I don't expect him to because of his age. So there's that. So that factor, I push that aside and I say, all right, goaltending is what it is because he's still a good goalie, but there are other problems. So then the other problem that I come across is still defensively, they have trouble covering some forwards, whether it's very fast or very strong because, you know, Pacioretty is the, Decent speed, but very strong category. They couldn't cover Pacioretty. Like, they just, they had no answer for him. And their defense, there's only so much they're going to be able to do. I know fans are like, well, Fletcher's going to be out shopping. But go look, let's look at coaches that have been looking to make moves for months. Buffalo finally gets somebody. And because of three different teams making moves, they got Michael Froelich. Okay, he's a decent player. But if you equate that to 
what you might need on defense, it's going to equate to a third-pairing defenseman. And I'm not sure getting another third-pairing defenseman makes this defense any better. Yeah, so, certainly long run it doesn't. You'd rather play a guy like Phil Myers in that third pairing so that he can cut his teeth and, right. and get to a different level because the ceiling's higher. But clearly A.B. is hot and cold with him. I mean, we, yeah. you know, there's no question about that. I mean, Shane Gossespierre still isn't right. Even at the end of that game yesterday where you have a six on three, his head wasn't screwed on straight. Even when there was like six seconds left in the game, his head wasn't screwed on straight and fumbled the puck. It's just, it's, it's mental with him. And at this point, it weakens their defense even further. So even if you're sitting on the other end of this and saying, well, Russ, they should trade him, fine, but you're not getting full value for Shane Gossespierre at this point. So I think we also realize that full value for Shane Gossespierre is is a pipe dream at this point because yes. full value is after the 60 plus point seasons, right? You're nowhere near that anymore. And full value is what it is at the moment. And I don't see where he's going to go on a run and bring himself up to that value once again. And then you get rid of him Cause if you get, if he does go on a run and starts playing really well, they're going to use him. But I, I, I don't see any indicators in his game that he's headed back to that form anytime this year or, frankly, ever. But then again, I was a critic all along. Right. I mean, I wasn't a critic all along. I did have problems when he really started missing the net, and he's still missing the net a lot because of the kind of shot he has. But now it's creeped into other parts of his game, and even with puck handling. And, And so that's where I know it's mental. But the problem is I don't know when that will get straightened out, and it's hard to straighten that out in season. So I think this is the Shane Gossespierre that you're probably getting all year. So really, then you're talking about three solid defensemen on this team that you can count on. Yeah, you're talking about Niskanen, Provorov, and Sanheim, I guess. Yeah. I mean, those are the only guys you could really count on when, you know, your back's against the wall and you need to play solid D so you can come back in the game. But that's the other thing. It's like, you know, and a one nothing lead, look. The, this is the other the other thing. A couple of years ago, the odds were like 67% or something. If you scored the first goal, you'd win a game, and now it's even higher. And they still didn't do that yesterday, and they scored the first goal. So that's how you know it's defense. But team defense is also a big part of that. And I know everybody thought, well, Scott Lawton's now very important because we're losing all these games, and the defense doesn't look good. So when Scott Lawton comes back, it'll all get fixed. Well, it didn't. Yeah, he took a couple of bad penalties is what he did. Right, (laughs) and so now it shows that it's more systemic than that. So I do think it all starts with the blue line, and I do think based on how all these other teams, Montreal, Buffalo, we we knew they were all going to make moves. We even knew some of the players that were going to move. Uh, And look how long it took to happen. It's going to take just as long for the Flyers to make moves because they're capped out. Yeah, yeah, they're in a situation where you're going to trade dollar for dollar, and that's not easy to do. So that's that's a tough break. If, if but if, I'm hoping if you're a Flyers fan, you don't think you should have signed Kovalchuk just because he was seven hundred thousand, because oh, he could also goodness. ruin he could also ruin the locker room too. Yeah, and I was I was surprised to see that Montreal did sign him for seven hundred. It's a two way deal. So if he plays in the AHL, it's ten percent of that seventy thousand dollars. Oh, hold on. He, he will never, not get on a bus. He will never play in the KHL. So even that part of the deal is irrelevant. You He'll mean just AHL. walk away. AHL. He 
he will just walk. I'm not sure. Actually, KHL too. He'll probably never play in the KHL again because they don't seem to want him anymore. But AHL, he will never play in the AHL. He'll just walk away. All right. So here's the situation, Russ. As it sits right now, let me set the stage here for you. The Flyers right now are holding on to wild card number two. They're halfway through their season. They've played 41 games. They're 22, 14, and five. Uh, at home, they are 13, two, and four, and they they better be damn happy about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nine, 12, and one on the road. And right now, one or two points rather ahead of Florida, but the Florida Panthers have a game in hand. Mm-hmm. So they're 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 really on the bubble right now. Now you couple that, Russ, with the fact that they're still on this road trip. They got to head to Arizona coming up on Saturday. They got to go to Carolina on Tuesday, and then they, once again the schedule makers. And you can't blame the schedule makers because it is what it is. But th- they come home from this twelve day trip, six game trip. And the day they return home, essentially, they are at home to face the Capitals at 7.30. You don't even get a buffer day from a 12-day trip to, to, to throw your underwear in the laundry. Right. <laughs> now, when you go on a road trip and you go out of time zone of three games or more, and you automatically come home from that trip and have a game two days later, it's very difficult to win. Yeah, when you come home no question. with that opponent on after a 12-day trip, that is a nightmare scenario against Washington. So you have that coming up, but then even after Washington, you have home versus Tampa Bay, who's on the come. You got uh, the Boston Bruins coming in Monday the 13th. You got the defending Stanley Cup champions in St. Louis on the 15th. Montreal, before you get a little bit of a, a break against the Kings on the 18th, but that's a team that just beat you in L.A. at Staples. And then you get Pittsburgh for a back-to-back, Colorado for one. This schedule is brutal. Is it time to panic? Well, yeah, I do think it's time to panic because I, I felt like they were around a 500 team when the season started. I felt like that's what they were going to be, and they would be a bubble team. And they started off hot, and they had some some good moments, so they bucked that trend a little bit. But they seem to be heading straight towards that more than anything. And so it is going to come down to Chuck Fletcher at the deadline. But remember, Chuck Fletcher also put him in this situation. If you didn't have Stewart on this team, you would at least have some cap maneuverability. Mm-hmm. But once once he was added, and again, I don't want to hear that he's good with players and he's great on the bus and great in the room because on the ice he's not producing anything. So no, I didn't day, even like the fact that he was in the lineup last night because Ryan Reeves was in the lineup. Right. This day and age, you got to have coaches do that other stuff or the veterans you're already paying for, but you can't have any passengers on a team. And so they have some passengers, and he's one of them. That is now going to help them down the stretch. They are really going to have problems just adding anything. And again, we're pretty close, I think, to having Joel Farabee either being sent back or in even a more reduced role. Like, he keeps moving down, and that's why I was glad they they finally sent Morgan Frost back because they realized, okay, it's better for him to play top line and do everything the rest of the year in Lehigh, and I agree, it is. But it's going to get like that for Joel Farabee, too. Yeah, yeah, and they're getting into that situation now. But, again, when you look at these moves and sending Farabee back down, you go, okay, if not Farabee, then who? You know, Vorobiev, I mean, it is what it is, right? Uh, yeah. You know, Rupsov is is a guy that is still playing banged up and ha- didn't light the world on fire when he was here before. The problem is, and, and I'm like, I put that in the tweet soliciting the show today, is it time to panic? And I see people saying, no, it's not time to panic. Once they get home, they'll be fine. They'll get it together. But 
as I just laid out, you know, when they get back home and that game against Washington, I just want to caution people. Don't expect them to come home from a 12-day trip, not have a day in between games, and come home and all of a sudden be the 13-2-4 team that beats the shit out of everybody at home. Because that's yeah. not going to happen in that situation. I mean, It's a he, very difficult spot. So if you're going to wait till that game, until they lose that game, and then panic, I'm forewarning you now. Yeah. I, me as a guy who leans towards prospects and player development, doesn't care who they replace Farabee with, and doesn't care if that is the difference of them making the playoffs or not, because you have to be looking more long-term long than mm. past this season. And so right now, and I've... And I like Farabee, right? And the fact that he does some little things is fine. But remember, he was 126 games, 125 points in the NTDP. So now he's got 12 points in 32 games. He's a minus one. Utah, and he's got more PIMS than he has games played. And, so and you, three games suspension. Yeah. And so you tell me where the positive is in that, other than they're trying to put him in a hole because the GM didn't have any more money to spend to fill these holes. So they hoped that they could do it with youth and they can't. So I don't care who you bring up from Lehigh. I would rather see somebody up in Lehigh. I would rather see Farabee with Lehigh top line doing all those good things and experiencing points again, because I don't believe he's all of a sudden going to get hot. And I just don't want to see him dig a further hole. There yeah. is a point where it does take a mental toll on a kid. Yeah, no, no, there's no question about it. JC tweets in and replies to our, our tweet for the show and says, do you think we see Frost back up here soon? Wasn't no. really a fan of him being sent down. It's hard to say. He's not one of the Flyers' best nine forwards, let alone 12. His 5-on-5 five five advanced stats were pretty average, too. Certainly way better than what Vorobiev has been giving since replacing him. Now, see, I disagree with JC completely there. I think he absolutely needed to be sent back down. He did, because, again, you also want him to build up strength, and he can work out more down there. End of the day, you want him to ultimately be your next Claude Giroux. You don't want him to come up and just be an okay player for the Flyers, but because the team is struggling, he's one of their better players. That doesn't mean anything to me. In three years, a lot of these players won't be here. So, like, what does that mean? You want Morgan Frost to lead those guys, don't you? And if you do, then he needs to be in Lehigh. Yeah, no question about it. Eric Bowman tweets and he says, what cap space can be cleared up this summer? I'm not seeing <laughs> a trade this season being possible to improve this team. Cap is just too tight to make moves, and he makes a great point. Really, they are you know, a bit handcuffed here unless, Russ, they want to make a hockey trade or a trade where they give up a little more long-term to get some gain now so teams will will take on money. I mean, you can, but again, those deals are out there to be made. All right, so let's let's look at this realistically, okay? I get that it, you know a corporation that runs the Flyers wants them to make the playoffs so they can gain playoff revenue. I get it. That's the short-term focus. But if you want to do that every year, the long-term focus has to be you want the team to be good enough, and again, eventually win the cup. I get it. But we're just talking finances here. So if you want the team to be more viable over a longer period of time, then you can't do those kinds of deals, and you can't have kids trying to fill spots that they're not ready for just to push it all in there this year to make it look good for Chuck and everybody else, like, hey, we've made the playoffs again. Because that doesn't mean anything. It might mean something in the books. I get it. 
But long term, you're going to be losing out more. And so I don't think you can do it anymore. I don't think it makes sense to do it anymore because you have some aging pieces. And even though they're pretty good now, in two or three years, then you're going to start looking like one of those teams where maybe not like the Kings, but close to being like that. No, more and like then, Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, more like Minnesota. And, and, and it takes a longer time to come out of it that way. So, again, I say if you're going to make the playoffs this year, right, let's say you do make one of those deals, and Carter Hart is an inexperienced playoff goalie. He is. How far do you really think they're getting? I mean, what do honestly, and I'll ask you that question. Like, how far do you really think, even if they got another player, even if they got another defenseman and started playing better, how far are they really going to go? Yeah, you're going to win a round maybe two at best. At best. Yeah, and then you're going to run into a team like Washington or you're going to run into a team like Boston, and that's that's where the situation gets overwhelming. Right. So if you could do that without, like, ruining the future structure, which I think so far they're in that role where they haven't, then that's great. That's when you say that's an organizational success. But if you start messing with that too much, again, you got to remember, the veterans you brought in here to help prop up the defense, they're all short-term guys. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point. Um, so when you talk about, let's, let's talk about the World Juniors real quick because we got a chance to look at some of those guys and still are able to look at some of those guys. First of all, the fact that Team USA went out and limped out the way they did, not scoring against Finland. I know Finland, their goalie played really well in the game, yeah, in the elimination game really, yesterday. He's good. He's really yeah. good. And Finland's very, is always a very determined team, well coached, very structured. I get it, but the fact that the U.S., you know, they medaled four years in a row, didn't medal this year. It was a good run. But uh, – and you can say, well, Jack Hughes was an age-eligible player that didn't play because he's in the NHL or – Yeah, you can't use that. Yeah, I mean, every team has got players like that on some years. But that being said, the fact that you got shut out one to nothing in an elimination game has me a little annoyed with Team USA right now. And that's fair to be annoyed. I, I, I think a couple of things. First one is... I didn't like Sandlin's usage, by the way. No, I, I didn't like... I mean, clearly, he, he put too much emphasis on Jack Drury. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. And he had Caulfield tied from, to him for a while. And Caulfield could have played better, there's no question. But I just felt like Caulfield probably wasn't um, highlighted enough in their offense. Now, I love the way Zegers was playing, so that's fine. I think he deserved the playing time he got. And I think the there were some other good forwards, you know, I think at times Brink looked okay, but, you know, Brink also, you could see where he's weak along the walls and he just got plastered by a guy like Ball. And, and you could see where that if you went up against somebody tough, that that was going to really hurt Bobby Brink as far as what his point production could be. Yep. And so, you know, I felt like some of the other bigger guys could have done better. Beecher, even though he had a good game in his final game, but they still lost. Goaltending was fine. I mean, I Spencer, yeah, Spencer Knight, was, Knight was fine. Yeah, he was great. So it wasn't anything with that. Uh, I also felt defensively that they, they Keandre Miller was just a little bit too risky with the puck, and they probably should have just made a change there and not given him the amount of ice time he was getting. I felt like that was bad. I, I might have actually even switched out Zach Jones for him in the number one spot because he can move the puck up the ice just as easily, but he seemed to be safer, and he has just as good a shot, if not better, actually. And so I just felt like they relied too much on Keandre Miller, and that didn't work out. I felt like getting 
when you go into a game against Finland, there's a few things you know. They just want to get there, right? They just want to get into the medal round. Everybody knew they were going to have one of the two best defenses in this tournament, and I felt like they had the second best. But you knew they were going to clamp down that game. And so when you're two periods into this game, and it's nothing-nothing, you know you have played into the Finns' hands, right? I mean, you have to know that as a coach. And I felt like they didn't attack that enough in the third period. I felt like they felt like something was going to happen and they would just magically get a goal. But the problem was when they were getting shots in the third period, they maybe had three high danger chances. They were all like to the corner of the post where a bigger goalie, it's easy for him to make that save yeah. and it's almost impossible to score over his shoulder. And yeah, I just, a lot of dead angle opportunities and yeah. no rebound. Yep. No. And, and so that is the, the way they like to play it, man. And I, I, Team USA made it a little too easy for them on it. Ananin's a very good goalie. Everybody knew he's a terrific goalie. But I just felt like, you know what? You needed to play it differently. And even if that meant, hey, once in a while, bringing the puck up the ice, you got to beat two guys. Beat two guys into the zone entry, and then they have to react. But that didn't really happen, right? They didn't. Their defense didn't have to react. All they had to do is keep the middle clear and go with the active sticks and keep things to the side, and that worked. And I just felt like Team USA made that a little too easy for them. But here's the other thing, and this is where the rich get richer. What team drafted Ananin? Yeah, Anaheim. No, Colorado. Oh, no, Colorado has him. Why why do I think Anaheim? Because they they have another pick. Oh, okay. Team. But Colorado has him. Oh, jeez. Got him in the third round. They got a lot coming. Colorado's got, man, they're going to be good for a lot of years, man. <laughs> well, they also have your your Calder winner right now, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kel McCarr. They're going to be good. And, and and just so people know, like, Ananin had a 930, has a 936 save percentage, a 1.97 goals against. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, certainly. And but and he's we'll... been split in time. They have been using the other goalie, and I think that actually he may be the Anaheim guy. Um, yeah, I think that he might be. Let's see. But anyhow, end of the day, I'm not happy with with the way things turned out. Let's see, Purinen is no, he's undrafted. Somebody's wow. not from Anaheim, but yeah, I can't remember who it is. I wasn't thrilled with it. I, I really, I got frustrated with that game. But I also knew when it was nothing, nothing after two, Finland was smiling. Um, what have you seen out of Zamula? I like Zamula. I actually think he's been their best defenseman. Romanov, I don't think he has any points. If, unless he got some yesterday, I was on the plane. He, you know, Zamula's outscored him, outrushed him with the puck. He's not as physical, but occasionally will hit somebody. But great shot. zamula has been great this tournament. So that's, that's been a real great thing for the Flyers is seeing how well he's done. You know, my original picks for the tournament were Canada with gold, U.S. with silver, Russia with bronze. And so now it's going to get adjusted slightly, but I think Canada could still win it, and I think Russia now maybe will take silver. But um, but Zamula is going to be a big reason that they do, if they do, because he, he's been tremendous. So that's that's a really good find. And I think ultimately, you know, for the Flyers' kids, it's a good showing but I don't think Brink showed as well as you maybe hoped he would. Yeah. But neither, but neither did, but neither did Cole Caulfield. So, like end of the day, 
I might blame the coach for a lot of that. Yeah, the usage. I didn't like the usage and putting Brink and Caulfield, two guys who can bury it into those situations. I didn't. Yeah, I mean Brink had two points. Yeah, yeah, it's not good enough. No. Um, real quick, around the league, a couple of things. Crosby uh, is back practicing with the Pittsburgh Penguins, but Jake Gensel out four to six months. Yeah. After a collision with the boards and a shoulder surgery, um, it is. You go, wow, Crosby out. That's got to be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. They were phenomenal without him, and Gensel was phenomenal without Crosby in the lineup. Mm-hmm. But now to lose Gensel, and Sid going to be coming back here relatively soon from the hernia surgery, um, what's the what's the future of the Penguins like over the next couple of weeks and the rest of this season? Still making the playoffs. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, they're used to having players not be there, and they're used to – Who's their goalie, though? Yeah, I mean, both their goalies. I mean, Jerry just got goalie of the week again. I mean, yeah. so, I, I mean, Tristan Jerry, I, I'm not surprised at him, right? Because I've tracked him for a long time and I've always really liked him. But now that he's getting more playing time, yeah, Tristan Jerry is great. Matt Murray's still the go-to, but when you have a tandem like that, you don't really have that much to worry about. You just need to score a certain amount of goals because your defense isn't perfect. But the goaltending is covering up a lot of that. Yeah, no question. Um, you got to wonder when they get to the deadline, does one of those guys go? No, I think what will happen is I don't think anybody goes during the season because you never know. Murray could get hurt and Jerry could bring him on a run. I think I think over the summer or at the draft, they might consider that with Jerry because they don't want to lose him to eventually to Seattle. So I think you'll see it happen at that point. Or if they decide, hey, we like Jerry, we're going to move Murray, which I doubt, but Hey, world's a strange place. You never know. But yeah. I don't think I don't think they'll do anything in season about it. But I don't think they're going to have any problems because Brian Rust also stepped up and he still probably doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, Dominic Simone is still really good for them. Like they, you know, John Marino has been great for them. Like John Marino, I watched all through college, and as a defenseman in their, one of their weak areas, he's added points. Like I had to see how many points he has. But that's you know, for some people, he's seemingly out of nowhere. And they've had good scouting and they've done good trades with Rutherford aside from, you know, um, Jack Johnson and a couple of couple of clunkers. Yeah, Marino's got 18 points in 38 games like he's a plus 15 as a defenseman. Like if you if you think about that, if the Flyers had one more defenseman like that. Where would they be? Yeah, it changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah so you're right. This is. And this is where Pittsburgh's sort of not getting credit because everybody's like, oh, look, they got all these injuries. They're going to drop out of it. Uh, they're not. They're not yeah. Done. Until they do, they haven't. <laughs> yeah. Um, real quick, Russ, a couple of things. I saw ESPN um, uh, put up a list, and Greg Wyshynski, uh on ESPN put up his list of the midseason awards. Um, the points leader in the NHL, he's got right now is Connor McDavid with 64 points. Uh, well, that's not really disputable. Right. Uh, but let's get to the who's going to win the Rocket Richard Trophy. Is it going to be Pasternak? I think he has thirty now. Yeah, I think it's Pasternak. He does have thirty. Not uh, slowing down. No, he, he's not going to get fifty and fifty because I think he has thirty and forty-one. I thought he had a chance at fifty and fifty, which would have been interesting. But because some other great ones like Bossy did that, and that's the second tier of greatness in goal scoring, by the way. Yeah, because Wayne did it in thirty-nine games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that's, I mean, it's fair to say that. Like, this, he's just on a different level. But yeah. you want to go second-tier greatness, um, you know, Pasternak's there. And 
So that's that's a big deal. He's going to end up with at least 50. He might go 55. And yeah, he's got a shot at 60. He's got a shot at 60, which I don't even think Ovechkin's hit 60 in a while. Yeah, I think it's been a few years, and uh, Stamkos did it, I guess, about eight years ago. Right. But it's it's been a while since. You so if you get 60, 60 yeah, if you get 60 in this era, you're doing something right, man. You're you're way ahead of the pack. So, yeah, I think he, he's going to run away with it. All right. Uh, Greg Wyshynski's got Nathan McKinnon as the heart winner right now halfway through the season. Yeah, Wiz is right. I, it's definitely McKinnon because, yep. you know, without Rantanen, they didn't miss a beat. He, when you see him skating, again, I go back to when I watched him in juniors. I thought he was the fastest player I ever saw skating through the neutral zone. That's just through the neutral zone because Connor McDavid's faster in the entire way that he plays the game. But this is McKinnon's gift, and when he does put that pedal to the metal, nobody can stop him. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he does make things happen, and so he is a real force out there. Colorado is what they is. Half, half of that reason is McKinnon. Half of the other reason is because McKinnon isn't an overpaid player. If you want to like write an article and say, well, look how undervalued he is. Well, he, he is that way on purpose. He's not an idiot. And he doesn't have a dumb agent, but he wants to win. And so he's doing certain things to make sure he's paid well, but also try and win. Because well, this kid wants to in, win. In, in fairness, he did sign his contract before he warranted such money. No, but even on his next one, he said he's not going to go top of the market, and he could. Yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. Um, I believe it. No, I, I know him a little bit. I believe it. Okay. Uh, the Norris. Uh, John Carlson? Yeah, I mean, John Carlson won the Norris a month ago. Yeah, and can, can like a recent, like a, a Brett Burns surge change it this year? Nope. It just can't happen? Nope, can't happen. All right, we talked about Kale McCarr. He's our, um, we both agree that he's our Calder yeah. winner, and so does I Greg. Mean, he's not a runaway yet because if he were to get hurt a bunch more, there's some other guys that are doing it. I'll tell you somebody who's really coming up in the rear is uh, Alexander Tessier for uh, Columbus. Okay. You know, he got hot. He's, I think he's got about 13, 14 points in 37 games, something yeah. like that. And so, you know, if a guy like that got hot, you know, he could put a surge on if McCarr got injured for another week or two down the line. But most likely it's McCarr. And I did pick him preseason. And I've been right for like three or four years now in a row, which is pretty nice. Yeah, and rare. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> you're on a run. Uh, the Selkie right now, and Greg Wyshynski has your Selkie leader as one Sean Couturier. Uh, I think it's Mark Stone. Do you think a winger? Yeah. Hmm. I would like it to be Sean Couturier, but you watched Mark Stone last night. Yeah. You watch him play. He does it all, man. Yeah, he's a dynamic player, and his ability, he, he, not a great skater. No. But he knows where to be and when to be there. And, and really knows what does. to do when he is there. <laughs> and so I think he's going to give Couturier a run for his money. I'd like to see Couturier win it, and I voted him top three more than a few times. But I just have this sneaky feeling that it could be him. Okay. Um, the Jack Adams winner right now, he has uh, Craig Berube after winning it last year. <laughs> hmm. Now, no. Berube's come back into the season and... Look, he's got a little bit of distractions to deal with there in St. Louis and, you know, with uh, the, the Petrangelo situation and that contract. And what's Berube done? He's come in, led them to a 26-10-6 record so far, top spot in the Central. Uh, now four, or excuse me, six points ahead of Colorado. The team's good at home. The team's good at road. On the road, they're disciplined. I mean, you got to look, he's doing a hell of a job once again, the Chief. No, I'm giving it to Jared Bednar because I think, 
You mm-hmm. can't always give it to the players. And coming into the season, people were like, well, you know, Colorado's good, but we don't love their goaltending. And then they had a bunch of injuries, and they're arguably the best team in the league. Yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Bednar. Could Sheldon Keith get into that conversation at some point? No, no. I because I think the problem with it is the Leafs will people will look at him and say, well, they should have done that anyhow. Yeah, yeah. Good point. All right, Russ. That is episode sixty-five. It Wait, is oh, well, we cannot end it there. You Where didn't we... even talk about John Tortorella and oh. his magic, his magical post game. Where he was right in like a, a, a situation in overtime, there was like 1.2 seconds that magically got added to the clock. Well, it, it was the $20,000 rant. The NHL got paid $20,000 to hear the truth. <laughs> but it was worse than that. Yeah, no, they, it they was. They set a precedent because they basically said, and on your next one, it's 25000 So keep your mouth shut. But my issue with that is, if I'm John Tortorella, I might not keep my mouth shut now because I no, might make my next one... check right there and say, just hold this until I <laughs> until yeah. I'm ready to deliver it. I might make it a fifty thousand dollar rant, even though I, they're only going to charge me twenty five because they've already predetermined that. Yeah. Since when do they predetermine what a, a suspension or a fine might be? You tell me. When does that happen? Yeah, I got to tell you, and, and you know, you and I are on the same page. We both are big fans of Torts. He delivered on that one. He did. He was right. He yep. delivered on it. And and I just I couldn't believe when I heard it that they already had predetermined the next amount. So I'm going to wait and see. I, I have a feeling Torts is going to write that next check. Yeah, I do. And he's going to empty the clip. <laughs> I think he is. I think this is the kind of year where it's frustrating enough that at some point he might just empty the clip. And I don't blame him. And I just felt like it's really weird that the league went that way. Because they're not having a great year refereeing. They're just no. not. What's that conversation between Coley like and, and a guy like Torch? Oof. Oof. It ain't good because Coley's not like a terrific, jovial guy to begin with. <laughs> no. And they don't want to be questioned. No. You know, so, certainly not publicly. Coley's point is, hey, we get it. But come to us. Don't do it publicly in a press conference. It's hard to say that. But when you can't justify something like that with the clock that goes on in the game and then the game goes to – actually, it was in regulation, right? And then the game went to overtime and then his goalie got hurt in overtime. Yeah. Right? Who's playing well, Corpus Hall. And his, and his, right. And his argument – now, again, I don't think you can make the argument that that is what got his in, goalie injured in overtime because I think he had a knee injury that was going to happen. Like yeah. the kind of knee injury he had probably was going to happen in the next practice or the next game or the next something. But it did just so happen to work that way, and it made it extra frustrating for the coach. Like, I yeah. get it, because the game probably should have been over. Yeah, and when you go to Toronto and they don't get it right, that's the problem. Yeah, because wasn't there was another goal scored, right, because of that extra time on the clock? I think that's Precisely. the way it happened. Yeah. And it went into overtime, and then they lost an over, lost their goalie in overtime. Like, that's yeah. – yeah, I mean, you know, he's Columbus pissed. Just, he's pissed, and they're not having a good year to begin with. Yeah, so, they're up against it. I, I get it, and, and I just – I, I don't want to see the NHL turn into the NFL in the way it's being refereed. I hate to talk about referees. I don't like to write about them, but like, come on, they've got to do better. And I just hope this, I think Torts maybe will force them to do better because 
even though they feel like they've shown the public that they've handled it, don't kid yourself that the league's not going to look, look at this and say, all right, this is a long-time coach. We have to sort of take this seriously. We oh, yeah, do. they got to take inventory of the situation, no doubt about it. Yeah. And I think there will be a reckoning behind the closed doors for some of these referees. But I do think, hey, do you have to add an extra one? Do you have to go to a little bit more replay? Whatever the answer is, this game is getting too fast for them. Do you agree yeah, with that? I absolutely do. Because stuff seemingly is happening right in front of their eyes. Yeah. And it seems like they're in the way too much now, too, because they can't get out of yes. the way. Yeah, yeah, getting out of the way now is like a big deal. Like, yeah. I would almost rather see referees on a wire the whole game and let them hover <laughs> over the game. Uh, that's not a bad idea. That may be your best idea of the entire decade. And you delivered it on the first show of the new decade. <laughs> Good job. It'll look like Superman. It'll look like a high-flying yes. wire act. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Russ, that is now episode 65. Everybody, welcome to 2020. Enjoy your hockey. We'll talk to you next time on the TikTok. What is on the TikTok.